playbook for harvest prompts a response, teaches us to prompt a response in others. We handle harvest one-on-one. It calls for risks and responses. That's the way that many of us can encounter people right now, one-on-one. The one-on-one encounter that you have behind a mask in a a shopping line. The one-on-one encounter that you have on FaceTime or in a Zoom call. The one-on-one encounter that you have with the people in your home or maybe over the fence with your neighbor. In other words, there's a unique opportunity right now to encounter people in a way in which we are all more sensitized to the value and the privilege of human interaction, and also in which people, even people who don't normally look to the Lord, even people who aren't normally walking on that path, are looking to God, are looking to pray. In in today's uh, uh, Wall Street Journal, I believe, there's an article about how there's actually been some research on this to indicate that there's a significant increase right now in people praying. People are self-reporting that they are praying more in polls. And if you look at Google searches and so forth, or online uh, resources that provide prayer instruction or prayer resources of some kind or another, there's a tremendous uptick. In fact, I believe in that Wall Street uh, Journal article Uh, There was, if that was indeed the publication, I think it was, I just happened to see it this morning. Uh, There was an indicator that something like half of the entire populace of the United States, and perhaps it's even more, have prayed within the last six weeks for God's help in ending this present pandemic. Whatever else you may think about what's going on, about the, 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 the health reports, about the government response, recognize this. People are praying and looking for God. And that's a fresh opportunity for a one-on-one encounter with those who know the Lord and would reveal something about God's peace, God's promise, God's pathway, something about the possibilities available in God right now. Perceive the possibilities. Harvest is happening. Look around at the fields, white for harvest. I want to say that to you, PCF, and to anyone and everyone that would willingly receive and hear that word. Perceive the possibilities right now and press into the personal. The hope of harvest is not just for us, but for all who will believe and receive. That message ended with this question, where will your fresh meat be found? These days, it's hard to find fresh meat in the grocery store, but there's an opportunity to have fresh meetings with people and with God, in which the peace of God can be declared through you, through your mouth, through your testimony, and which the peace of God can be known in your life, in your heart, in your home. So I felt that was worth sharing today. That was a two-for-one, a little abbreviated sermon before the sermon. But it's also part of me saying, I want to encourage you, don't think that just because we're not in this building, that God is not doing what God set out to do, and that harvest is not happening. Not being in this building was part of God's plan. I am convinced of that. I'm not saying that God is the one who sent the pandemic, and I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to be gathered together. What I'm saying is God has a purpose in this present moment. 
Don't get so fixated on what we think we want our purpose to be that we would forget or lose out on the opportunities that are being presented to us because we'll be back in this building again. That time will come, it will happen, and it'll be wonderful and it'll be glorious, but unless we're getting out of this building all the time and having fresh meetings with other people where we can share the gospel of the good news, then, then what is the point of being in this building to begin with? We are a church on a mission. We are a family deployed. And so right now, we, we are out there in the field, and the fields are ripe for harvest. I shared this week on Facebook and elsewhere. It's on our, uh, on our church website. So if you go to mypcf.org and click on the pastor's blog, you'll see there that there's a, there's a blog from back in March that is continually being updated. It's about our, our COVID-19 response. If you have difficulty finding that, you just click on ministries on our, on our homepage or in the toolbar uh, up at the top uh, of the website, and you'll see pastor's blog there. Or you can click on the COVID-19 prayer initiative, and there's some uh, pathways of, of uh, uh, hyperlinks that you can find it through that passage too. But you'll see on there that I shared a message that was uh, given, a, a, a letter, I suppose you could say, that was written by our Foursquare president-elect, uh, Randy Remington. PCFLA, as you know, is a Foursquare church. We are part of the family of faith, the denomination known as the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. I am a Foursquare pastor, and that means that I operate as a pastor in, in this church under the headship and the leadership, the governance and the guidance of a district supervisor, Dennis Easter, and of course our national leadership. We have a general supervisor, Tammy Dunahoo, and we have a president, uh, uh, Dr. Glenn Burris is our current president outgoing, and we have an incoming president-elect who actually is phasing into and will um, uh, this, uh, this month be uh, formally uh, installed as our, uh, as our uh, ongoing president of Foursquare, and that's Randy Remington. He wrote about this challenge that we're facing and particularly about how do we reopen churches. So I read that with great interest, and after reading it and so appreciating what he shared, I wanted to provide it for you. So I'm not going to reiterate everything that he says in it, but I'm encouraging you if you're a member of the church or if you have curiosity about, well, when will PCFLA open up its doors again as a, as a facility to have gatherings of people in the sanctuary, when will that happen? You can read that letter from Randy Remington, our president-elect, and see what our governing principles are about it. But primarily what we're looking for is, first of all, for me, I'm looking to what the denomination has to say. I'm not just a Lone Ranger here. I have guidance from them and I'm submitted to that. I believe that's biblical, I believe that's wise, and I also love and trust our leaders. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're always right, uh, but what it means is that I, as a man under authority, am submitted to them. And so what they are saying is significant to me and right now, they're recognizing that every locality is going to be different. Uh, different um, counties are having very different experiences in terms of the numbers of this outbreak. Different counties and states have different guidance from their local leaders. And Foursquare also is calling us to, as the Bible says, pay attention to what our civic leaders say because God has placed them in roles too. And we have uh, a, a call to be submitted to them in as much as it doesn't violate our obedience to God and God leaders. 
And so these are the uh, guidance points that I'm following. So presently, based on what Foursquare is telling me, based on what the city and county of Los Angeles are telling me, and based on my own analysis of the figures, I'm sad to say that here in Los Angeles, um, the, the, the case rate of COVID-19 is not really in a decreased mode. In fact, over the past 14 days, it has continued to marginally increase. Uh, we're praying that that will change. But given that that's the case, we feel that it's wise to continue to abide by what our city and county leaders and our governor uh, are suggesting for Los Angeles, which is that we're remaining in um, a, a, a reduced gathering mode. We're remaining in a physically separated mode. I don't know um, for churches how long that will uh, continue. I do believe, I am hopeful, I am praying, and I call you to pray for the time when we could begin to have gatherings here again. And I think that we will be able to do that in a phased way. But we're not at a place where I can announce that yet. So I will keep you posted. Um, my heart's desire is to do that. We will do it when it seems wise to do so. And I'm praying every day and asking the Lord to give me guidance. And that is, of course, the guidance that's most valuable to me. So in the meantime, we will continue uh, to operate this way, but I am glad to say that at least there is this gathering. We've got, I'm counting five or six guys in the room. That's a start. That's a step in the right direction. But in the meantime, you keep being the church wherever you are. Amen? Now, there are some other things that uh, we are going to be doing in weeks to come that I'm excited to share with you about. You know, if you'd like today's bulletin, you can get it. Even though you're not physically here with me, you can get it online. You can go to our website, mypcf.org, events, click on the events tab, and you'll see that uh, on, our, uh, on the events page, we have a, a summary about today's service, and you can download a PDF of the bulletin, or you can go to Facebook, and you can get a JPEG of it. And there you'll see the prayer points for this week. So we're continuing our COVID-19 7 p.m. prayer uh, every night. And we've got the full list of what we'll be praying for tonight. We're going to be praying for ethnic harmony. I want to say a little bit more about that in a moment. We continue to have our Zoom midweek prayer uh, at 7 p.m. every Wednesday night. So we'll be doing that again this week. And I'm excited to see that two weeks from today, we're going to be starting up Praise School of Ministry on Zoom. So it will be a Zoom class. If you'd like to register, you can send an email to info at mypcf.org or just continue to watch our website. We're going to be getting uh, a registration link up soon. Want more information about that? Email us at info at mypcf.org or you can email me directly and I'll respond with more information. I'm going to move the time of my class a little bit so that if people want to take both classes, which will be happening on a Sunday, you can do that and not be zoomed out. So from 1 to 3 p.m. on May 31st, that's two weeks from today, we'll start this, I'll be teaching on the book of Revelation. And then from 4 to 6 p.m., Sister Tammy will be teaching on the kingdom of God. Really, this is such a great time to be learning about these things. And Zoom gives a wonderful opportunity not only for you to hear from us as instructors and also read materials and see uh, um, uh, videos and talk about what we're reading, but you'll be able to interact, dialogue, and so forth. So that'll be an exciting thing. Also, uh, so grateful for your ongoing giving. On the back of the uh, uh, bulletin, there's the information about where and how you can give. You can click on the uh, donate button on our website. You can mail in a check 
to 2235 Beverly Boulevard here in Los Angeles, California, and 90057. And we're so grateful that you continue to support the ministry of the church in that way. We need your support, and we are blessed by it. Let's pray as we turn to a time of teaching in the Word. Hallelujah. Lord God, we thank you once again that this is the day which you have made, and we rejoice and are glad to open to your word and to receive from you, Lord, now guidance by your word. This is a challenging season, and there are lots of spiritual battles that we have to face. We want to face those fully equipped in your armor. Lord, as we read and hear from your word today, as we continue in this season of challenge, we believe that you will provide to us everything we need for good and godly living. In fact, even as your word says, we believe you already have. And so we ask, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. In February 1977, Bishop Festo, Kevin Jerry, was part of a group of church leaders who delivered a letter of protest to the dictator Idi Amin. Probably most all of us are familiar with that name of Idi Amin. It's not hard to find his place in history. If you don't know who he is, later on you can Google him. And you'll find out that he was a dictator who rose to power in the African nation of Uganda. We have dear friends, Hazel and I, from Uganda. We love that nation. We've not been able to travel there yet. We pray that the Lord will enable us to go there one day. There's many great believers of the Lord in Uganda, and every person of Uganda is dear to the heart of the Lord. But in the 1970s, the leadership there uh, was under um, this dictator, Idi Amin, who not only was one who uh, imprisoned those who opposed him and manipulated the truth and took control and so forth, but he literally was the personal cause as well as the administrative cause of the deaths of many. I'm sharing here a story about him relevant to today's teaching, and I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, many of you know that my daily devotion comes from uh, a pastor named Nicky Gumbel, uh, an English pastor from the UK, and this is from his devotion. So I'm reading to you what Nicky Gumbel has shared about this period of time. Let me take you back into the story. It is 1977, and in Uganda, a bishop named Festo has joined together with other Christian leaders to speak out against the injustice of this dictatorship and signed his name to this letter speaking out against beatings, arbitrary killings, unexplained disappearances taking place across Uganda at that time. The very next day after that letter was published, Festo Kivangeri's friend and his leader, his bishop over him, his supervisor over him, his archbishop, Luwum, was murdered by Idi Amin and Bishop Festo was driven into hiding and then into exile. Soon after that, Festo Kivangeri published a book, and the title of that book 
is as extraordinary and unexpected as probably any title could be, given the circumstances that I've just relayed. The name of the book that he wrote was, I Love Idi Amin. I Love Idi Amin. In the book, he explained this extraordinary title. He said, quote, the Holy Spirit showed me that I was getting hard in my spirit. So I had to ask for forgiveness from the Lord and for grace to love President Amin more. It's notable to me, by the way, this is me speaking, Courtney, that he refers to him as President Amin, even though it was so clear that this man had violated even the terms of his role, still, this bishop of the Lord was speaking in a way that had regard for the title and the role, and even for the humanity of that man, not at any point denying the reality that Idi Amin had done ghastly things and should be removed from power and was in violation of the law of the land and certainly the law of the Lord. But nevertheless, this bishop was saying, still the Lord was calling me to love him without denying those truths, to love him. This was fresh air, he said, for my tired soul. I knew I had seen the Lord and been released. Love filled my heart. In our midweek prayer gathering this past Wednesday, I spoke about how Jesus declared that in the last days, the love of many would grow cold. And I suggested that my own view is that when we look around us, and truth be told, often when we look within us, it's not hard to see the love of many growing cold. And in part, it relates to the fact that we see injustice, that we see people behaving or doing or saying things that violate or go against the word of the Lord, the spirit of God, maybe against us personally. But I want to remind you, brethren, what Jesus has told us, that if someone persecutes us, that if somebody strikes us across the cheek, what are we to do? You know turn the other cheek. That if someone in a position of authority over you misuses that authority and says, for instance, like a Roman soldier coming in all of his armor and garb and saying, hey, I want you to carry my pack for a mile, that we should say, I'll carry it two miles. Imagine that. Jesus was making that statement, making that analogy not when it was just some arcane and abstract story. He was speaking to people who were occupied by a foreign power, whose military forces, the Roman army, the very ones that, that, that Paul uses as a metaphor in our Armor of God series to talk about how they are armored in, the, in, the, in these uh, strong uh, armaments, that, that's what the Roman soldiers looked like. These are the very specific real ones that Jesus is saying, yeah, when they come and they mistreat you and slap you on the face, give them the other side of your cheek and ask you or force you to do things that are wrong, rather than rejecting that, do even more than they ask for. 
These aren't my words, because I don't find this easy to do. And the truth is, I fail in this kind of thing quite a bit. But these are the words of Jesus to us. These are the words of the Lord. It's that spirit that Bishop Festo had that said, I love Idi Amin. I don't love what he's doing. I don't love what he stands for. But I love him because God has told me and taught me, shown me how to love my enemies. And it's not just talk. It's a real spirit. That's peace. In the book of Ephesians, which is where our sermon series comes from, this is where we find the culminating statements about the armor of God. Paul has already talked about how real peace is this. You and I were at odds with God. We were the ones doing things wrong. We were the ones misbehaving. We were the ones sinning, trying to grab our own way, doing what seemed right to us, doing what we wanted. And God came and reached out to us in love and made peace with us while we were still enemies with him. And God brought us together in that peace so that you and I can be at peace, not only with God, but with each other. Paul was writing to and in an age when there was great ethnic division and strife between Jews and Gentiles. And in the book of Ephesians, in the letter, he said, God has made us all one kind of person. He's made us all one body, one baptism, one spirit, one father, one Lord and Savior of all. So now there's neither Jew nor Greek, which means that we don't cease being whatever our ethnicity is. If you are a Filipino, you don't stop being a Filipino. If you're an African-American, you don't stop being an African-American. If you're a white person, you don't stop being a Caucasian. If you have a mixed heritage, that is a glorious heritage that remains in you. But there's no wall of division in God between any of us. Those walls have been broken down. And we're not to build them up. We are to be one. That's peace. When we come to talking about the soles, the shoes, the, the undergirding of the good news of peace, this is what we are talking about. We're talking about a kind of love that is radically different than anything you and I would ever experience, let alone demonstrate, except that Jesus has come and shown us that kind of love. The souls of the good news of peace in Ephesians 6.15 is about reconciliation, loving enemies, breaking down boundaries. And it's through this that justice is actually done. I'm happy to say, by the way, that ultimately the injustices of Idi Amin and the wrongs that were done in Uganda were brought to an end, but not without terrible loss. And sometimes we may wonder, well, why is it that God allows what he allows? Friend, can you and I make this agreement? Let's trust the Lord enough to trust him with that. Let's recognize that in the end, when we arrive face to face with God, none of us will have any legitimate complaint against what he has done or even what he has allowed. God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. Let's instead occupy ourselves with sharing this good news. And the good news is this, that no matter what we've done wrong against God or others, 
God has put us right with Him through the love of Jesus Christ. This is part of the armor that we put on, not so that we can stand against people who are standing against us, not so that we can fight a battle against human beings in flesh and blood, but so that we can stand strong in the spiritual battle against the enemies of God in the spirit realm who are demonic spirits of division, of confusion, of deception, of strife. And in standing in the strength and the armor of the Lord, we stand together in one place with one kind of footing. And the footing is the platform of peace in God. I want to take us once again to an examination of this passage in Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about the full or whole armor of God. You know that in the Greek there, it's panoplion. It's where we get our term panoply, as I've mentioned. And it means a complete and impressive array or collection of necessary things or glorious things. And the armament that Paul is talking about is both necessary for our spiritual battle and glorious in its thoroughness and completeness. Of course, he is utilizing the, uh, the particular aspects, as I mentioned, of the Roman armament. But as I mentioned last week, he's not just talking about Roman soldiers, he's talking about Christ. He's talking about you and I putting on or being clothed in the full character of Christ. And so when we come to the soles uh, or the shoes, the sandals, you could translate it any of those ways, of the good news of peace, we're talking about something that goes underneath everything else. Remember where we began? We began with the belt, and there was a girding up that we talked about being preparation. Well, think about this. You don't go outside of your house without your shoes. They're not the first thing that you put on. In fact, in many instances, they may be among the last things that you put on. Here, in the, in the litany of uh, armament that Paul talks about, it's not the last thing. It kind of comes in the middle. But you'll notice that following the, uh, the shoes, what we're going to get into next are implements and elements that, that are about getting into the battle. But you can't even step foot outside your tent, outside your door, unless you've got shoes on, right? Imagine going into the battlefield and not having shoes on. In fact, the Roman soldiers' sandals, which were more like uh, kind of boots that were made of two uh, elements. One would be the soles, the bottom portion, and then the other would be the wrapping of leather thongs that produced a kind of uh, a boot that went up the leg and would protect the, the shins as well. Also had underneath the soles, typically, cleats like you would wear today for a sporting event. If you go golfing or if you play soccer, the, the, those kind of nails or, or sharp um, uh, element that digs into the ground so that in the battle, they would be able to take their stand together, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and hold ground and advance ground without being pushed off the platform of their foundation. Do you remember how earlier in the book of Ephesians, Paul already talked about how our platform, our foundation is Jesus Christ. So these shoes that are literally an undergirding are also our preparation point and a reminder that what we are walking in is walking in the way of the Lord who has prepared us to carry a message and that message is peace. 
So I want to talk about these shoes of the good news as being the basis in which we are platformed and also the means by which we are prepared to carry a message of peace. Platformed, prepared for peace. And in doing so, I'm going to take us to some other passages of Scripture. So hopefully you've got your Bible there with you, or if not, you'll see the passages on the screen, and you can follow along with me. In talking about being platformed, there is still, even in this, an element of being prepared to go. I've said before, and I want to reiterate, the notion of standing here in this passage of Scripture is not about being static. It's about taking ground and not being pushed back. It's about advancing forward in a way in which you don't lose territory, but rather gain it. And so being platformed in the things of the Lord is, is about being predicated upon that which Jesus has already laid down, his life, his ministry, his testimony, and being prepared to pivot from that. In other words, think about it like a platform that NASA has for its rocket. You know that launch pad? That's what the shoes of the gospel of the good news of peace are for us. There's something underneath, underneath us from which we are ready to be launched into the things of the Lord, platformed and ready to go. Take a look at where this particular terminology that Paul is using shows up first. When he says that you and I are to shod our feet in the preparation of the gospel of peace, that shodding, that, that means putting a shoe on, right? it shows up elsewhere. And in fact, the other two places that it shows up in this particular Greek formulation in the New Testament are Mark chapter 6 and Acts chapter 12. Let's look at them quickly. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is preparing for the 12 to be sent out in pairs. Hey, PCF, in a year of harvest, the Lord is sending us out, sending us out from this place, and he's sending us out platformed and prepared, ready to launch into the world. We still need our connection. We're not going out as lone rangers alone. Just like Jesus sent out the 12 in pairs, you and I need to be connected to one another. But there is also this reality, which is we're being sent out. Jesus summoned the 12, Mark chapter 6, and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority. Authority over people, well, they certainly spoke with authority, but the authority he gives them for the battle they're going to face is not a battle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and power, unclean spirits. That's the, the New Testament Greek euphemism for what you and I might colloquially call today demonic power. And Jesus instructed these pairs that they didn't need to take anything for their journey. Did, did they bring a sword? They didn't. Jesus had already said those who live by the sword or to die by the sword. It's true that later on, after his death and resurrection, there's a separate point where he allows them to take a little bit more because it's going to be a longer journey. It's going to be a longer um, uh, mission. But I think there's something significant here for us to, to connect between this passage in Mark 6 and the notion of the spiritual armament, which is these things that we are armored in, these are all we need. There may be other things that God allows or grants to us at one point or another, but don't feel that you are lacking in something. If you've got the Spirit of God, if you've got the Word of God, 
if you have the faith of the Lord, if you have the truth of the Lord, if you have the righteousness of the Lord, if you've been saved by the Lord and your mind has been renewed by the Lord, and if your feet are platformed on, the peace that God has granted to you and I and the message of peace that God has entrusted to you and I that comes through Jesus Christ, you've got everything you need. And so he said, you don't need to take anything else with you, but wear these sandals. In other words, <laughs> like the, uh, the old Nancy Sinatra song said, these boots were made for walking, and that's what, just what they'll do. And Satan, one of these days, these boots are going to walk all over you. He tries to bruise our heel, but in Christ, we'll crush his head if we have the message of peace, of the good news of God on our feet. Don't put on two tunics, Jesus said to them. You don't need extra than what I'm giving you. When you enter into a house, stay there until you leave. If they don't listen to you, if they don't receive what you have to say, that's fine. Just wipe the dust of, the, of that place off of your feet, off the soles of your feet, and keep on going. So there may be people who don't listen to the message of peace that you and I have to share, who don't receive the message of the, of the love of the Lord. Don't trouble yourself about that. They may reject you. They may even um, not only resist that message, but resist you. Don't take it personally and don't do anything to offend them. Just move on to the next person that God has for you to share with. And look at the power by which they do this. They went out preaching. And what was the message? Good news. But the message of good news is not just God loves you and there's nothing to worry about. The message is God has made a way for you to repent. It's available and possible for you and I to repent. So they preached that people should repent and they were casting out demons and anointing people with oil so that they could be healed. That's the good news. Calling people to repent because God already loves them calling people to repent because the peace that God has provided allows for forgiveness of sin and also produces healing. If my people, says the Lord, who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways and repent and pray and seek my face, I'll come, I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal the land. That's the message and that's the power, the authority that God has given to you and I. We're prepared to do that and it will also liberate people it will liberate people and allow them to walk out of the bondages that they themselves have walked into, just as you and I walked into many bondages. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare liberty to the captive as well as sight to the blind. In other words, physical healing and spiritual deliverance because it's the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the time when peace with God is producing a harvest of health, hope, happiness and release. In Acts chapter 12, Peter has been put into prison simply for sharing the gospel, simply for sharing this good news. Peter has not only been put into prison, but has been sentenced to death. But suddenly an angel shows up in the cell. Peter thinks he's dreaming. Peter can't imagine this is real. But the angel says, get up quickly. He, he rouses Peter. He wakes him up. It's a wake-up call, even as Paul himself has said in Ephesians. There's a wake-up call now. So there's a wake-up call from the angel to Peter. And he says, gird yourself. That means, friends, put on your belt, get ready to move, and put on the soles of your feet. Put on your sandals. Wrap the cloak around you and get ready to go because I'm leading you out 
because I've got a mission for you to go into. So there is not only this platform, there is the real readiness to blast off and not only to be prepared ourselves, but to become emissaries, missionaries of preparation to others. I'm realizing sometimes you have a moment of, of uh, awakening, something dawns on you and you think, I forgot something. I forgot to bring the communion elements into, <laughs> into the sanctuary here. And I see the clock and I know I'm coming to the conclusion of this message and we're gonna partake of communion together and I don't have my communion. So will you allow me to do something practical so that I can be prepared and I can help you to prepare? I'm gonna give my keys to uh, Pastor Wilson. Would you go into my office and uh, just grab in the, in the, very practical here, in the right-hand drawer, bottom drawer, or it may actually, I think I put it on my desk, there's a Ziploc of uh, communion uh, cups there. And you can just bring them back in. I told you to get your communion elements ready and I forgot to do mine. Well, thank heavens that the God of peace and grace um, gave me a wake-up call and reminded me, where's your communion elements, Courtney? Okay, we're talking about being prepared and then being preparers. You and I have been called into this relationship with the Lord in which we call others to be prepared. Look at Matthew chapter 3. When uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Will you say that word? Preparation. Preparation. He's using a term there that shows up elsewhere in the New Testament in the mouth of Jesus himself. Or actually, I guess I should say in this particular passage, uh, not necessarily in the mouth of Jesus, but in the mouth of the evangelist. I'm looking in the book of Matthew. So one of the uh, apostles later on writing about the life of Jesus is talking about uh, uh, John the Baptist. Of course, the famous figure who we know is the cousin of Jesus, but also the one who had a ministry of preparing for the Lord. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to ask, actually, if you would uh, just go ahead and I, I'm going to, I'm okay without that. If you would uh, share this with the brothers. Thank you. So where you're at, you may want to get your communion elements uh, near to you as well because we're, we're driving home to that conclusion. So the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3 is talking about John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. And there's a quote made there of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah who said, this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That term there, make ready, is the same term of preparation. In other words, the preparation for sharing the gospel is the recognition, listen now, get this, that Jesus is coming again. That's part of the message. If you don't have that as part of your witness to people, if it's not part of your own recognition of the truth that you're standing upon and the reality of what Jesus promised, and if it's not part of what you and I are sharing with others, then we are not really ready to walk out onto the battlefield and hold our ground because we haven't laid hold of, we haven't bound our feet in, we haven't undergirded ourselves with this reality that Christ who died and rose again is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Now, we don't know when it is, but what we do know is that no matter what, you and I are gonna be face to face with Jesus sooner rather than later. 
our lives on this earth are not long lived. The years of a human being, as long as they could be, are still but nothing compared to the eternity of God. And yet, when we look around and see the signs of the time, we can also say that all of us, I think, would be wise to be ready for the return of the Lord, and that's part of our message, to go out into the highways and byways, to go into our one-on-one interactions with people and to remind them, you know what? God is here and God is coming. And to remind them, don't be separated from God because he has reached out to you and I. But also, don't ignore God because Christ is coming. Christ is coming again. Let's make our lives ready so that you and I, when we see him, can see him in peace, can rejoice at his coming and not have to be afraid so that you and I can know his peace so that even if everything else is shaken away, he remains, his peace remains. He abides in us and we abide in him. In Luke chapter 1, there is discussion of that same person, John the Baptist. And this is when um, he is uh, being promised to his parents by the Lord. And the terminology here describes a person of peace. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, John the Baptist prepared the way for the earthly Christ who was to come and preach a message of peace. You and I have been called to prepare the way for the return of Christ, who's coming as king to rule over the nations. We are to prepare people to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet, listen, into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in the spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. That's talking about John the Baptist. The ministry and the mission of John the Baptist was to be one who followed the guidance of God and gave that guidance to others so that their feet could be guided into the pathway of peace. That's what you and I have been called to be, people who show others how to walk in the way of the Lord, how to walk to him, how to walk with him, how to live for him, and how to share that message as well. Take before you the bread and the cup. We're coming to the conclusion of our time together. This bread, like the bread that Jesus lifted on the night before he was betrayed and giving thanks to God, he broke and shared it with the apostles there gathered. This bread, he said, is my body, which is broken for you. You and I had a broken relationship with God. We were at odds with God. And maybe that's something that you can relate to even right now. Feeling like 
I've alienated myself from God. Or I've violated something of God. Or I'm just feeling so separated from God and so far away. Maybe what you see is the brokenness of your own life or the things around you, the brokenness of our world, our society, the brokenness of hope. Maybe you even feel like the promise of harvest was broken. I assure you it wasn't, but I can understand why you might feel that way. What Jesus says is not that you and I aren't broken, nor that our world isn't broken, but that he would be broken for us. And in his brokenness, the pieces of his body would bring peace to our lives. Lord, we receive your body. We recognize that you would not have given yourself for us unless you had a mission and a message to declare of hope and salvation. And you have proven that mission and proven that message. And we receive your body that it would bring healing to ours and unity to us in your mighty name. On that same night, gathered with his apostles, Jesus took the cup of wine, the juice of the grape, the life of the vine, and he said, this is a cup of a covenant with God. And it's a covenant that has been described once again by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who spoke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the words of the Lord that said, come even though your sins are as red as the scarlet of blood, I'll wash them clean and make you white as snow. I'll clothe you in righteousness, white as wool. I'll cleanse you with my blood, says Jesus. And that's my promise. It's the promise of the Father. Not only that you would be cleansed and purified, but that you'd be platformed provisioned and prepared to carry that message, even to carry this blood and the testimony that it gives to others. In the last days, there will be no way to stand our ground on our own. All we can stand upon is Christ. But if we stand on him, we will stand in him. And even though the enemies of God, the satanic powers of darkness, which tighten their grip on this world evermore, grow stronger and stronger. Don't be either surprised nor discouraged by this, but recognize that the way that the people of God overcome in the last days is through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And their testimony, our testimony, is the good news of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to make us one in him, with him. Lord, we receive your blood today and ask that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We confess our sin and we acknowledge our weakness, our doubt and our fear, but we also trust in you that you would cleanse us thoroughly and fill us fully, not only with your blood, but with your Holy Spirit, that we might do the works that you have called us to do, works you prepared in advance in Jesus' name. Amen.
you have received of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And even if you didn't have those elements with us, but you were participating in that prayer just now, I want you to know Jesus is with you. Christ is for you. He calls you into peace with him. He places his peace within you and he empowers you. Platform prepared to go out and pave the way and call out that pathway should be made straight because the Lord is coming to save. The Lord is coming to judge. The Lord is coming to make all things new. Hallelujah. I pray that today's message has blessed you and equipped you and encouraged you. If you have been at odds with God and you want more information about what it means to be made right with him, let us know. But I want you to know, if you prayed that prayer right now, or even still would, and simply say, Lord Jesus, I give my heart, my life, my soul to you. You are made right with God already because what Christ did on the cross is already completed. But now receive the full armament of what God has given for you to be equipped for the purpose that you have, which is a harvest hope. Hallelujah. I look forward to being with you uh, at 7 p.m. in our Zoom call if you can participate. Even if you can't log into that call, you can be part of it simply by praying. And every night at 7 p.m. or at whatever time you are able, each day pray without ceasing and continue to stand strong in the peace of the Lord and to continue to advance in the purposes of the Lord. And God will give you his grace to love your enemies, to overcome the, the wicked one, and to have and to hold the peace of God in your heart. Hallelujah. God bless you and keep you and make his grace to shine upon you and his face to shine on your pathway in all things, PCF, and all those beloved of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.